Yeah, I think it's a form of our own insecurity when we <clears throat> circle the wagons around certain topics that are not allowed to be discussed. You know, like, you know, saying, oh, well, you know, you, you believe this. Well, therefore, you must be doubting your faith. Or you're, you're wrong. You know, the doubt is wrong. But, you know, it's not about doubt. It's really more about, I just want to know the truth. I think you have to be open and willing to, to look at yourself honestly. Or otherwise, you, you just, you, you, it's sort of a form of idolatry, you know, to where you, you lock in your beliefs and you say, this is truth. And then <clears throat> you shoot everyone else around you down for not believing that same truth that you've come to understand. I just feel like we're, we are too fallible as human beings to lock ourselves in so tightly to, to certain ideas. Don't, right. don't leave the foundation and the, and the learning and the, belief system that you were given you were given that for a reason you were put into a family by the providence of god accept that hold on to it but test it and make sure it's truly the word of god because we've talked about that word dwindling shane the book of mormon is full of the word dwindling and unbelief and as good as the families that were placed into they're a product of their family and their family is mm -hmm. a product of the family before them and at some point in time we all have to go back to the word of god because we've all dwindled Welcome back to Restore Gospel Podcast, where two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. So today, I want to talk about stewardship of beliefs. This, uh, Shane, I told you midweek last week that this was on my heart and uh, I had opportunities. It's interesting things that have transpired since uh, I was talking to you about this, got into some discussion on Facebook about believing and doubting and searching and seeking and things like that. Uh, we had already planned to do this today, but I think even more so now it's, it'll make for a good, interesting discussion. I'm looking forward to this. How are you today? Good, good. I was going to share, uh, woke up today and saw this on Facebook. So we'll, we'll just share it here. And, um, so <laughs> this was on, this was on Facebook today on our, uh, page next up on restored multiple gospels podcast, we discuss insert fake controversy here i actually i i chuckled at that i i thought that was kind of clever uh restored multiple gospels i think it's supposed to say podcast so and it right. makes me think like how are things perceived because we're going to talk about today when you hear stewardship it's usually about money right tithing and um what you do with your money how you use it is it you know is it for good purposes for the kingdom is it and we're supposed to be stewards over that right but um, stewardship of our beliefs, just that phrase came to my mind this past week. And I thought about why we, why do we believe what we believe? Um, how much do we believe what we say we believe? Like what kind of action mm -hmm. does it have? Um, right. what, what are those beliefs? Um, how much does truth play into our beliefs? How much does honesty play into what we believe and why we believe it? And are we honest about that? Or um, are we what? a phrase that I've heard coined in the last few years, are we lazy learners? And that's, that's brought out a lot on some of the Facebook pages that we're involved in because sometimes people just want an answer or they just want an idea presented to them with the least amount of work possible. And so when we talk about stewardship of beliefs, 
uh, I think we have a stewardship to put all of our effort and energy and time into um, thinking and pondering and, and reading and learning what we believe and, and not just what we believe, but maybe more importantly, why we believe it. That's mm-hmm. important. Right. So we're going to talk about that today, but let's start with a scripture that is in First Nephi chapter 3. And Shane, I think it's one that we read just uh, last week or the week before. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's right mm-hmm. at the beginning of when Lee, uh, Nephi is going to have his vision. And can you zoom in just a little bit, make it a little bit bigger? It's hard to see. I'm trying to. Let's see. I don't know why. Let's see here. There you go. <laughs> Is that better? Yeah, much better. Okay. <clears throat> As I sat pondering in my heart, I was caught away in the spirit of the Lord. This is Nephi speaking into a mountain. And the spirit asked Nephi, what desirest thou? And he said, I desire to behold the things which my father saw. And so the spirit asked the question, believest thou? that thy father saw the tree of which he has spoken. And I said, yea, you know that I believe all the words of my father. And this is where we we talked about the spirit cries out with a loud voice saying, Hosanna to the Lord, the most high God, for he is God above all the earth, yea, even above all. And blessed art thou, Nephi, because thou believest in the son of the most high God. Nephi's belief led to this spirit of the Lord crying out Hosanna out loud. And what um, what a statement that is to to ponder on. Why why was his belief so pleasing to this spirit of the Lord? Uh, and I, th- I think we discussed that. Perhaps he knew because of that belief that there was going to be some interaction coming, and he was going to be able to reveal things to Nephi because of his belief. Mm-hmm. But the very fact that he believed, not just believed, but really believed, and the spirit recognized that, caused him to shout Hosanna. Right. I think we have to, I think we have to, to, you know, kind of going back to your, to the comments we've seen on Facebook about some of this stuff about belief and doubt and that kind of thing. We have to, I think we really have to understand what it is. We, you know, what belief, like, for example, don't have doubt. Okay. Well, that in general, that's just sort of a general statement, but like, you know, faith, we don't have faith in just faith, faith for faith's sake. In other words, we have faith in Christ. We don't just, you know, we don't just believe just to believe. We believe and we have to have something underpinning our belief, you know? And so <clears throat> and I think a lot of times we, in, in a religious environment, sometimes we put faith in, in men. We put faith in our own understanding. Um, we put faith in, in people that have gone before, you know, people that we hold on a pedestal from the past. Um, and, and we sort of, that becomes our religion, even though we don't really, if you were to say, you know, are you worshiping this man or something like that? You'd say, well, no, but cause we know that's wrong, but yet we still do that in our behavior. Um, for example, if I was to say, you know, Arthur Oakman, you know, said this and it was wrong, you know, he was, he was dead wrong on this topic. There would be people to be offended. How dare you say that? It's Arthur Oakman, you know, and, and, and we can take that all the way, you know, to everyone in the scriptures, except for Jesus, obviously, but you know, like David, you know, you could say God, you know, God said he was a man after his own heart. And yet he sent a, a you know, a friend of his into battle to be killed so he could steal his wife. Now, that doesn't make us deny everything that David did uh, as far as good things he did. But we have to look at it honestly. He he failed in many areas and, and that's OK. I mean, it's not OK with God, but, you know, that's OK with us. We don't judge him for that. But we got to be honest about the failure. And I think that's true for anyone, including Joseph Smith. 
Um, sometimes when you say anything even slightly negative about Joseph Smith as a man, you know, this sort of this monster sort of rears its ugly head and people get defensive and angry and accuse you of doubting your faith and your beliefs and all that kind of thing. And we have to be honest. If we're not honest, then we're not seeking really truly seeking God. You know? Yes. Yeah. So honesty is a big part of it. Let's go back to what, let's, let's talk about the, the word doubt. Cause that was, that was the focus of uh, a good friend of mine posted something about doubt that got a lot of activity on Facebook this past week. And I was interested in that because I know I've the podcast uh, classes that went going back years ago, Corey and I were, were involved in and Corey was teaching. Um, we got accused of causing people to doubt and, and you know, you're going to make people lose their faith. And so I was curious about this topic of doubting because I wonder it's not even the word so much, but uh, what's going on behind the scenes? Like, why do people, well, first of all, it seems like there's a motivation of fear and not faith. And, and it's ironic because we, <laughs> we would be accused of not exercising faith, I guess, is what I gained from the conversation, not us specifically, but people don't exercise faith when they doubt, or if you're doubting, you're not exercising faith. Uh, and so I, I wanted to know what was going on, what's going on behind the scenes when people hear something and they get angry, it's, it's a motivation of either pride or fear, I think. So if somebody says something about something you hold sacred, why does that, if your foundation is sure, uh, why does that, why would that be bothersome? Um, why would it cause you to lash out? Or, you know, I think, say it's, a, I think it's, yeah, I think it's a form of our own insecurity when we <clears throat> circle the wagons around certain topics that are not allowed to be discussed, you know, like, you know, saying, oh, well, you know, you, you believe this, well, therefore you must be doubting your faith or you're, you're wrong. You know, the doubt is wrong, but you know, it's not about doubt. It's really more about, I just want to know the truth. I mean, I feel like we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey towards God. Like you you know, what does he always say at the end of the podcast? You know, we're just walking each other home. You know, right. that's, <clears throat> and I feel like if we have that attitude towards one another, then we don't even get into these kind of discussions. We just genuinely look for the truth in everything that we can. And even if that means throwing things away or not, or, you know, seeing them differently, things that I have embraced as truth in my own life, if God reveals to me, uh, you know, that I've been doing it wrong or I've understood it wrong, I have an obligation. To, to uncircle those wagons and embrace that new understanding that God's given me this, the life is a journey. You know, you don't, there's not a, there's not, you don't just decide, okay, this is what I believe. And, and now I'm just going to die on that Hill. That's, you know, is in as far as we, there, there are absolutes. I mean, you know, Jesus is an absolute, obviously God, you know, we have to have our, you know, I've had spiritual experiences that I, that I know are from God, that I don't have fully understand, that I don't have full interpretation on. I thought I understood them, and then things happened in my life, and I realized, wait a minute, that's not how, that's not exactly what God meant by that, you know. And I think you have to be open and willing to to look at yourself honestly, or otherwise, you, you just you you it's sort of a form of idolatry, you know, to where you you lock in your beliefs and you say this is truth, and then <clears throat> you shoot everyone else around you down for not believing that same truth that you've come to understand. And, I just feel like we're we are too fallible as human beings 
to lock ourselves in so tightly to, to certain ideas. Yeah. My buddy posted a quote from a guy in England, I guess. And he got a lot of pushback because this guy wasn't, I guess, an official member of the church. So he didn't have any discernment or celestial relationship with God to say anything. And so I thought the quote was a, a good quote and it's a truthful quote in my opinion. Um, and, and, the point was we uh, we put people into little places and, and say, well, I think the point is this. We're back to what is the church. And that's why I think when we have discussion and we have disagreements, that doesn't mean that, that me and whoever I'm talking with is not a member of the same church. If we're, if we're motiv- motivated by repentance, which I, I see as leaving behind myself as much as I can and, and getting Jesus as much as I can in, in me, in relationship within me, and being motivated by him and his spirit, that's repentance. It's turning away from the carnal, sensual man of Mike Barrett and trying to allow Jesus Christ to be there in its place. So if you're trying to do that, whether your understanding is the same as someone else, if that's your motivation, motivation is a lot more important than where your intelligence is at at that time, because we're constantly growing and learning. That's why we have a number of years on this planet to, to grow and, and, and work on our probationary state and prepare to meet God. If it happened in an instant, then, you know, it wouldn't need that, but what is the church? And if we look at the church as being a set of beliefs, a, a creed that's laid down this, 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 and this. And if you don't believe that you're not in the church, then we're back to that model of a lot of barriers, a lot of um, absolute finite, this, that, you know, black and white and not what Jesus said the church is in doctrine and covenants, the third chapter, who whosoever repents and comes unto me, this is my church. And more or less than this is, is of the devil. It's, it's, it's not to be. And yes, that means, being baptized. I always have to put that caveat in there because I don't want to be accused of saying we don't have to be baptized, but that's part of repentance. Whoever repents and is on that pathway and being motivated to come to Jesus is the church. And that's why when you say the church is something else, and that's why Jesus told us that the church is nothing else but that, then we start putting up walls and boundaries and and get accused of you know, being doubters or causing doubts and things like that. Right. Very important. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I had a something happen, I guess, in my life that made me sort of have to question my understanding. And and this is not a doctrinal thing per se, but it's it's uh, I think people can identify with this. So I grew up um, in the uh, for those that, that don't know, they're not familiar with Mike and I. I grew up in the Restoration Branch movement. Um, you know, our, our LDS baptized originally, and then and then our, then the Restoration Branches, and it was pretty much uh, believed like set in stone that the book of Mormon took place in Central America. Everything took place there. That's where it all happened. That was, you know, that was just, it was like almost a doctrine and we didn't, it wasn't even up for discussion. And we, we looked at all the archeology span and we, you know, we, we quoted science, you know, um, people, my, people were experts in Mayan stuff. You know, we talked about Quetzalcoatl and the different temples and, we even have mapped maps identifying where this happened. This happened here in the Hill Rabone. And, you know, people even, you know, claim to have testimonies about being taken to the, the library. And, you know, and I just grew up with, there's just a fact. Well, then um, a number of years ago, um, some new information came forward that I, that I looked at. And 
and well, let me back up. So I grew up believing that. Well, then I had an experience um, when I was in my teens to go to Honduras and do missionary work. I was a priest at the time. And, but it was a dream that I knew God was from God. There was no question. And so yeah, I went and spent, you know, a number of years living in Honduras for three years there or so. And, um, <clears throat> you know, learned the language, made all the connections with people, baptized people, you know, and it was, it was a wonderful experience and I'm glad I got to do it. Sure. Just real quickly, you shared this, I think the first time we were on, but talk about the, was it a dream you had of baptizing mm -hmm. a, a girl? Tell, tell me that because that that brings the supernatural into something that's not just, um, yeah, you, know, you and I's uh, premonitions or, or feelings or whatever. So go ahead, and yeah. Speak that. Okay, well, so I I had a dream. Um, this was around I don't know around three o'clock in the morning. I woke up and you know it was just really powerful. And in this dream, I saw myself. Um, I saw a big lake and a lake or a small you know ocean or whatever and in the background i saw a whole bunch of really jaggedy mountains and i remember thinking you know what the where where is this because <laughs> the mountains were not like anything i'd ever seen in the united states and you know and i and i was just i was a young priest fairly newly ordained within a year or so and you know just attending my church i mean it was had no thoughts of missionary work and like that and um so i have this dream and i see this lake and so I see the mountains and then right after that, I look down and I see myself walking into a, into the water with this dark skinned girl. And I'm, and I'm like, who is that? And why am I, why am I going in the water with her? You know, and got down in the water and, uh, turned around and then baptized this girl. And the spirit was just really strong. And I woke up, you know, around three and I was, you know, sweating. And I mean, it was like really powerful dream. And, you know, and then after in the morning, I was like, what do I do with this? You know, I, I mean, it seems like it was spiritual. It seems like it was prophetic, but I, I don't know who this girl is. I don't know where this place is. I have no reference point of reference as to what to do with this. So just made it a matter of prayer. Well, shortly thereafter, I don't know, maybe a few months later, I was at a uh, church uh, reunion and this man had a photo album of, of, of Honduras. And there was, um, he had, he was had a, um, they started a kind of a home for children there and, and he was flipping through pictures and, you know, I was just checking it out. This was like one during one of the breaks or whatever between services. And there was a photograph there of a lake and it was like exactly the lake that I'd seen. I mean, it's like, that's it. You know, I mean, obviously I wasn't in the picture, but the lake was the same. And I, and I said, where is this? You know? And he was like, that's Lake Yehoah in Honduras. And, um, you know, there's a whole series of events that happened after that, but that opened up the doorway for, for me to go to Honduras. And so I ended up uh, driving down through Mexico and through Guatemala and, and into Honduras uh, with a bus that had been donated. And um, we, you know, I didn't speak a word of Spanish. I mean, I had, you know, I had no money. <laughs> I was just, you know, by all accounts, it, it would be crazy to do. Um, I would never let my children do it. <laughs> <laughs> but yet, you know, the Lord was opening these doors and that's where he wanted me. And well, to, I don't know, probably three months in, maybe three, four months in, um, I had made a friendship with a girl named Ingress and, um, we, um, she decided she wanted to get baptized and we normally baptized in a town called Suatepeque, which is where we had the church building. But, um, there was a fam, some families up by the lake, Yehoa, that were going to get back. They wanted to get baptized as well. And so Gary Metzger and I, uh, drove up there to baptize and 
it didn't even dawn on me until I'm in the water. I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is my dream. You know, I look behind me and sure enough, there's the mountains. I'm standing there in the water with this girl, you know, who, you know, six months ago or whatever, before that I had never even, you know, thought of ever doing missionary work, let alone be in a foreign country. And here I am getting ready to speak, you know, do the Spanish prayer from the book of Mormon to baptize her, you know? And, and, um, and so, it was just really powerful. And I know, you know, a hundred percent for sure that it was prophetic and from God, um, which kind of leads me back to what I was saying. So I was a hundred percent believing that that was evidence to me that that's where the book of Mormon take place that I tied those two together. You know, I had a belief in my mind that this is the, you know, that's the land of the book of Mormon. And then I have a spiritual experience saying, go baptize this girl. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Oh, I'm going to go baptize a, you know, people from the Book of Mormon and in the lands of the Book of Mormon. Wow, this is so amazing, you know. And um, and so, well, a number of years ago, um, I came across this information where that it just it blew my mind about the United States, that things have happened in the United States that fulfill prophecy and that this, in fact, is the land of promise. And there's all kinds of, of archaeological evidence and cultural evidence and language evidence and all that that point to uh, the, the United States around the Great Lakes being the where the, where the Book of Mormon took place. Now, that doesn't mean that some of the people in Central America aren't descendants because people obviously travel. The people have been here for thousands of years. I mean, you go back to the brother Jared, you know, so to think that it's that they're have no they have no relation or they're not part of that covenant or whatever, I think would be naive. Um, but in terms of the location, we know where the place were buried. We know that Joseph Smith said that it was, that this was the land of the Nephites and Lamanites. The final battle took place there. You know, there's, there's plenty of evidence that point to the United States being that land. Well, so that put me in a, that put me in a quandary. I had to decide, is this the promised land? Are we living in the promised land? Are we under the same covenant that, that Lehi and brother of Jared were under? Or do I go with the narrative that I grew up with? thinking that it's in Central America and assuming that my spiritual experience ver- verifies that. And so I had to step back. It wasn't about doubting my experience or doubting the Lord. It was about, I want to, I want to know the truth. I want to want it to be revealed because I want to believe the right thing. And not that this is a doctrinal issue, but knowing where the promised land is. And, and if, if in fact we are under that covenant because we're on this land, I think it's important. And so <clears throat> I came to the conclusion that it was in fact here that it happened in the United States, that, that all the, you know, the area around the great lakes, the Mississippi river Valley, the Midwest, you know, this is where the book of Mormon took place. And the native Americans are in fact the remnant of the house of Israel. And that doesn't take anything away from central America. God loves those people. And I, and I still have relationships with those people. In fact, that girl that I baptized, I just saw her, you know, a month ago, she was here visiting. She came to Texas and saw it. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't take away from that at all. And and as far as bloodline wise, they very well may be descendants of, of, you know, the people of the Book of Mormon. And I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think we even, I don't think it matters. God loves us all the same. Um, but to hold to this narrative tooth and nail. And I mean, I've seen angry discussions about this whole, where it took place thing and people getting mad at each other, treating each other with disrespect and, and the love just, just, just leaves the room and people cir- circle their wagons around their beliefs and Christ is not there. And that's, that's a problem. 
you know, and um, I think we do the same thing with a lot of other things that are that are even more important doctrines than, you know, where the Book of Mormon took place. because That's not a doctrine. Um, so anyway, I just I feel like some of this is pride. Some of this is insecurity. Some of this is, you know, I got to be right. I got to win the argument. And that's not about that's not what it's about. It's about us all going together to back to God, you know, and anyway. yeah, I, I remember a, a quote from Justin Griffin. uh that said he loves when he's engaged in conversation with somebody and whether they agree or not feeling like you're on the same team, pursuing the same truth, both desiring that. And then he said, when that happens, it doesn't happen that often, but it's always this like unexpected blessing that you're not there to win an argument, but you're there to, to jointly pursue, pursue truth together. And so in sharing what you just said, Shane, let's say that I believe wholeheartedly and I've had confirmation that, you know, the, the Central American lands are where they landed and where they stayed and, and the geography in the book of Mormon is describing that area. And you just shared what you shared. How does that, how does that affect our relationship? How could that affect our relationship and how should that affect our relationship? Oh, well, if you believe in Central America, then <clears throat> we're done. <laughs> <laughs> so you should be able to, so that has nothing to do with like uh, your love for people, your pursuit of God. You, you may get to heaven. He's like, man, I, you know, you weren't understanding that correctly. I, you know, I came to the temple and Yucatan, whatever, you know, you right. can find out the truth and it's like, okay, well did my best, did my right. research. But that gets back to the stewardship. You know, did you watch a, a 20 minute YouTube video and change your whole belief system to like, Oh, so it happened up by Lake Erie. Okay. That's, that's called lazy learning. But if right. you honestly, and, and, and only you can judge that, but if you honestly are seeking truth and you want to know the truth and you put effort and time and study, that's not something I've studied a lot. I've certainly watched some stuff on it and, and it's really amazing, but are you a lazy learner? Or are you just doing this for fun or are you honestly in pursuit of truth. And that, that takes us to what, uh, it takes us to how we all hold truth and, and want to deal with truth. Some people, truth isn't important. It's just not, most people, truth is just not that important. Look at the way the world lives. And right. I can make any set of beliefs and adopt those beliefs into my life and make myself really comfortable and feel really good about myself. Mm -hmm. that's if I don't care about truth. Why should I care about truth anyway? Because you have to have faith that in knowing truth, that there's power there, there's power to make you a better person. Right. What does it say? Truth sets us free. Right. There's freedom in truth. You can be in all kinds of dire circumstances, but if you are involved in truth and know truth and love truth, then you're free and you're free in well, your mind and you're free in your heart and you're free to love people because nobody's viewpoint is going to make you feel bad about what you know to be true. Right. Well, what is, what do the scriptures say about Jesus? You know, he I'm says, I, I'm the way, the truth and the light. No man comes to the father, but by me. Right. So in, in, when we take words like faith and doubt and seeking and asking and knocking and causing people to doubt and causing people to lose faith, you have to have truth be the corner stone, the foundation of that, um, discussion because if truth is not the ultimate altruistic goal, 
and as you just said, it's 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 coming to know Jesus. It's truth. He is truth. Then everything else uh, go, will go out of whack and will go south quickly. That's. Right. I still remember a Sunday school class where uh, Corey was just reading scriptures from the Book of Mormon about what the Book of Mormon says about itself and the anger that rose up and and just quickly to put that book down and put it in its place and, and elevate other things, which which was contrary to the actual word that was being read. And, and you see that anger rise up, right? You wake up and you see a post on Facebook uh, controversy because that's yeah, it's still funny multiple gospels podcast it's funny but sad i think because yeah. I, I don't know that as i i don't I, say we don't get on here and just ramble and never use scripture everything is so based on scripture like when i'm when i'm asking questions it's not because i am sitting in the corner reading the, this book written by some person that uh has a great theory it's because because i see the scriptures and what the scriptures say Right. And why why is someone um why would someone be called a doubter by looking at scriptures? Yeah. Um, I'm referring I'm not referring to anything on Facebook me specifically but but what has happened in the past. Right. So Well, and I and I think it's important for people to understand first of all, you know, you and you and I we're not proclaiming to have all the answers. You know, we are just this this program is just two friends having a conversation and you know, there's there, there will be, there will be, if we continue doing this, you know, if we go years into the future, I guarantee you, we will look back on old episodes and we'll have a new understanding of what we, you know, we will have, we will change. We'll learn yeah, new areas. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, the gospel, you learn it line upon line, precept upon precept. This is not something that you, you know, you watch a 20 minute YouTube video and now I'm set in stone. I'm good to go. You know, you have to, you have to diligently seek it and, the Lord reveals himself in parts and he reveals what we can handle. He doesn't come to us in his full glory. You know, well, and so, I'm preaching a sermon when I'm 50, I, I always I already, you know, is much different than when I was 25. Right. I, mean, I look back at some of those things and say, I'm glad God's merciful. Cause <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So no, you're yeah. right. Well, there, and there's a scripture uh, in second Nephi 14, nine, it says, and now I Nephi cannot say more the spirit stoppeth mine under my mine utterance, and I am left to mourn because of the unbelief and the wickedness and the ignorance and the stiff neckedness of men, for they will not search knowledge, nor understand great knowledge when it is given unto them in plainness, even as plain as word can be. And I think that's that's really profound in terms of the Book of Mormon. The gospel is really simple, and and we want more. We want it to be complex and difficult and hard to understand. And you got to learn a new a foreign language to to understand it, you know. And and it's just not that way. It's beautiful and simple. And when you bring that out, and people are offended by it, and you know, create these argumentative stances against it, it's they're fulfilling prophecy, but they're they're on the wrong end of it. <laughs> well. Let's back up and let's let's work through this. We, we've we've had, we're having a good conversation. Let's work through this methodically. Where did your beliefs come from? So, what is your, your belief system? How did you arrive at your belief system? Um, well, my my family, uh, you know, for my family, my my father died when I was three years old, and uh, so I was raised by my mom, and she was a you know a faithful attender of of the RLDS church. Um, so I grew up in that church. I was baptized at eight. Um, I had, you know, I've had 
plenty of, had a spiritual experience when I was eight at my bat in my confirmation. Um, I've had other spiritual experiences along, along the way in my life where the Lord has revealed himself to me. And that has just sort of been my confirmation that I was where I was supposed to be, that this is his true church. This is, you know, what we do, what we, everything we believe, all the doctrines, everything in place is, is truth because I'd had spiritual experiences, not necessarily telling me about those doctrines, but just God showing his love to me. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my foundation is, is growing up in the RLDS church and then in the restoration branch movement. Uh, I was called to be a priest at uh, 19 and then an elder, I don't know, a decade ago or so. So your belief system, it comes, comes from your family. And uh, I think when you're, when you're approaching, when you're talking about having a stewardship over your belief system, I, I like the advice my friend Jason told me. He made it a point that I'm going to hold to the beliefs that my parents have taught me. And, and I'm going to do that unless I, you know, there's evidence and overwhelming evidence that maybe something's off and then consider it. And I think that's great advice. In other words, I'm going to go off to college. I'm not going to go with every wind of doctrine or every, you know, try all of these different things. I'm going to stick to the foundation that was given to me. And I think that's really wise advice and it's, it's respectful to those that raise us and, and the family that we're placed into. And I would give that same advice to anyone. Don't, don't fly around and accept and adopt every wind of doctrine or every, you know, new, new thought or, or, or way of thinking that you come across. Stick to the foundation that you have been given and then be a stewardship, have a stewardship over that foundation, you know, test it, mm-hmm. read the word of God, put time and effort in prayer and thinking and pondering as Nephi pondered in his heart, put that into your belief system, be a steward over that belief system and make sure that what you believe ties in completely to why you believe it. So don't, right. don't leave the foundation and the, and the learning and the belief system that you were given. You were given that for a reason. You were put into a family by the providence of God, accept that, hold on to it, but test it and make sure it's truly the word of God. Because we've talked about that word dwindling, Shane, the, Book of Mormon is full of the word dwindling in unbelief. And as good as the families that we're placed into, they're a product of their family. And their family is mm-hmm. a product of the family before them. And at some point in time, we all have to go back to the word of God because we've all dwindled uh, to, to a state where, you know, it, it's the process of the human. It's the story of all humanity. Truth is presented. Sometimes it's adopted for a while. And then people dwindle away from that because of their traditions. Yeah, it's um, so I was thinking about, you know, tra- our traditions and, and you know, how we tend to sort of turn uh, the, you know, our forefathers into into heroes um, and, instead of really being honest about, you know, what's going on in, in, in history or in what's going on in our lives. Um, a number of years ago, there was a, uh, a the school CPRS had a um, uh, like a senior banquet kind of thing. You know, they, they don't do a prom. They just do like a senior banquet. And, but the, the music that they chose to play while there was uh, Beatles music. And, and I, and I remember hearing about that and I was thinking, okay, so, you know, they chose Beatles music because they, they wanted to have something that, you know, they didn't want the modern stuff because it was, it was so explicit and bad and all that. But I was thinking, you know, Beatles music's talk, most of that's about drug use and, you know, and I mean, so, but, but I think there's sort of this purity 
that like our parents' generation puts on that music because they remember a time when they were more innocent. You know, it, was, it rings back memories of their youth and they were, you know, much like you and I might think back to like 80s music and think, oh, you know, that's when we were innocent and young and, you know, that music was good. That was clean. This stuff today is just garbage, you know, and I think every generation does that. And, and so, so really, so you can't say, and I'm not saying whether they should or shouldn't have used that music, but, but to say that that music is somehow more pure than what the kids were listening to at the time is kind of silly, you know? Um, I saw an awesome it, video from a lady that was like yelling at her kids for the crappy music they're listening to. And they're like, you need to listen to the safe music we grew up with. And they're playing all these 80s songs and showed the lyrics and they're like, oh, stop that. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's truth. There's truth to that. Yeah. Yep. And I think we do. We It makes us feel safe. We remember a good time. We remember an innocent time. And so we embrace that. You know, and I think that happens in the church. You know, when you talk about the RLDS, for example, you know, our parents' generation, they remember the youth camps and they remember going to Graceland and all the friendships and, you know, life was was fun and simple and they were carefree and, you know, they had their music and they had their, you know, fun and they had their youth camps and retreats and, you know, and, and they the stake, you know, meetings where they all got together and, you know, had, you know, a, a you know, food and, you know, it was just like it seemed wholesome and righteous. And, and really it's really, it was just more about, they felt better. They felt more wholesome because they were more innocent in their, in their youth. But you can, you can go back in history and you can find horrible things that have happened within the the body of the church, uh, even sanctioned by the church. You know, um, you know, we often, often in the, especially in the organ, in the uh, restoration branch movement, we think of 1984 as sort of this dividing line, you know, anything before that was okay. You know, we, we accept men's like when we, when we do priesthood, like um, when a new priesthood member is going to come to the branch, one of the, one of the branches I was in the, 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 the deciding factor was if they were called prior to 1984, then we didn't question it. You know, they were, they were priesthood. Anybody after 84, we wanted to know who called you, where did it happen, you know, what branch it happened at, you know, we were trying to find out if they had proper authority for this priesthood call. Well, why was 84 the dividing line? You know, why, I mean, we would, we would accept a call, a priesthood call under Wallace B. Smith, you know, from 1984, but yet we wouldn't, we don't accept the the doctrine that was brought forth during his, his tenure there, you know, and so it's sort of like we, we, set up these true and false scenarios based on what was going on in history. And it, it's just not honest. It's not accurate. You know, we, we've, um, look at, you can even go back further, go back to 1925 with Supreme directional control. You know, there was all kinds of horrible things going on there. It was basically socialism was happening in the church. You know, Fred M was very much into social programs and, you know, he spent a fortune building the auditorium and, and he wanted to control the finances and so they they centralized the power and a whole bunch of the priesthood, the you know, uh, like b- bishops and patriarchs and stuff left, you know, left, pulled out of their, resigned their positions, you know, and it caused a big controversy, big split in the church. And then a lot of people left, you know, and I didn't grow up hearing about that. You know, I, I didn't know anything about it, um, but we don't because we don't talk about it. Um, there's other things that have happened too. you know, the further back you go, you'll find things. And so. The reality of it is, is that we're all human beings. We all make mistakes. We all have bad judgment calls. We all circle the wagons around things we shouldn't be defending. And, and until we look at that honestly and say, okay, the gospel is pure, but people are not. 
And so when when you look at Joseph Smith, when you look at you know Sidney Rigdon, when you look at WW Phelps, and you look at these men of the past, you can't hold them up on a pedestal, or then you're respecting persons. You know, the only person we can hold up is Christ. And so all these men have to be held up against the truth. And the truth meaning the word of God, you know, the, the Book of Mormon, the Bible. And and so if we're not going to hold that as our standard, then we're just going to blow around with the wind. We're going to take whatever culturally our, you know, whatever our church is embraced at the time. If all of a sudden we embrace, you know, homosexuality or or you know, some other kind of thing and we decide that that's okay, you know, we we can't we can't embrace things that are not founded in the scriptures. And if you can't find it in the Book of Mormon, then don't embrace it, no matter who brought it forward. Right. So but let me ask you this question. This this was something that was, I'm looking at my notes over here, but I think a question when we're talking about the stewardship of our beliefs, taking ownership, responsibility for what we believe, investing time into the foundation of those beliefs. The question is, are those beliefs shaping and changing and transforming my heart into a soft, malleable heart that uh, that loves like Jesus loves, because that's the only, I mean, that's the purpose in, in my, in my philosophy of walking through this life. The purpose of my beliefs and my belief system is, is, um, to have action, to have a, a power within me, you know, mm-hmm. truth has a power to change and to create me into the image of Jesus Christ. There's no other goal. You know, I got to leave the image of carnal, sensual, devilish Mike Barrett, you know, human, who's born into a sinful world and sin is seeded into my heart and grows up in my heart. The scriptures say, I have to leave that image and become the image of Jesus. Let him, let him make his image within me. That's the goal of our belief. So our, is our belief system changing our heart? Is there, is there work being done? Is there fruit being born? Or is my heart, my carnal devilish worldly desires in my fleshly heart, is that forming my belief system? And there's a big right. difference there because <clears throat> if you're not honestly pursuing truth and, and not that that's an easy thing, I mean, that involves prayer. I think asking the Lord to help our desires be honest in our pursuit of truth is so important that um, if it's not, then people find a way to get what they want. I can, I can look for an answer that I, I want, I can want to find an answer and then go do research and go do study and prayer and, and even reading the word of God. And I can find the answer that I want to get. And that desire can be dishonest. So our, is our beliefs changing our heart into a Jesus heart or is our fleshly heart changing our belief system or holding us to a certain belief system? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good, really good point. And you know, that scripture that says, um, that which inviteth, inviteth and enticeth to do good is of the Lord. And that's, I may have misquoted that ex- exactly, but um, you know, that's from the in the book of Mormon. That's what it's saying. And if it's, if it's inviting you to do good, if it's inviting you to be righteous and move towards Christ, then it's good. And if it's, if it's not, then, then you should put it away. It's not good. You know, and it, it seems really simplistic to think that way, but it, but I think that really is a test that we have to do with everything that we do in our life. You know, you think about those, some of those posts that we saw, you know, they're, they're asking questions or they're sort of criticizing things, but, but they're doing so in a, in a dark, angry spirit. And so my question would be is, you know, if, if you're using sarcasm 
and you're being nasty and you're, you know, being argumentative and you're not really communicating and really speaking to someone, then, then really what is it that you're defending? You know, because, because the Lord, the Lord's not there. If it's, if you're not being invited and enticed to do good and show love to your brother, then you're working for the adversary. You know, even though in your own mind, you're thinking, you know, I'm defending the truth, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm fighting for the Lord, you know, but really you're just fighting. <laughs> my, my thing would be, if you feel anger in your heart and not genuine love at something, then reevaluate the belief system and don't substitute a, what you would present as a righteous anger to preserve the flock in the name of the Holy God of Israel for your own pride and your own, because I do that. I, I've done that. I do that. I do that. A lot. That's a constant battle. I'm not immune from that. You're not immune from that. I can easily, yeah. I can easily transition from poking the bear for the sake of, you know, what I think is right to try to make a point. And I've done it. I probably will do it again. I don't want to do that. I, I want to always check my heart, but it's just part of being human and pride enters in so quickly. And that's the, the pride and fear is the great opposition to an honest search for truth. Um, it just, it is, it's, it's the, it's the roadblock we have to get over by the help of our Lord and savior that yeah. my pride or my fear, which they're so, they're so closely linked um, is, is always there to prevent me from honestly seeking truth and answers and knowledge of who Jesus is. Because I want to, we have the propensity, the scriptures say, to, to make God into our image and not to allow, allow, him, uh, allow him to be the standard and for us to be made into his image. We always try to make God into our image, even if it's just winning an argument or feeling high and mighty about family problems and, and you're better than the other person and they just don't understand. Those are all, those are all pride and arrogance. And, yeah. and it's, it's making God into our image, thinking in our mind, God's on my side. You know, I, he, he must be so upset at these people that are on YouTube making stupid videos, you know, challenging things. And that's, that's just, that's pride. And yeah. And, and so, boy, we didn't, we haven't even gotten anywhere into this, what I was planning on uh, talking about today, <laughs> but I want to, let's just, let's take an honest moment and let's just, I like to shed light on things rather than have them hang out in the corners. So let's say I'm thinking back on some episodes that we did that would you know what would lead someone to say uh restored what is a restore multiple gospel podcast is right. uh, the, the the large the new controversy or something i don't remember what it said but um i can think on an episode we did about who is the head of the church and i get it man we we are i was raised in a church that had a prophet I loved sitting in the auditorium and singing, we thank thee, O God, for a prophet, as the prophet walked down the aisle and thinking, man, we have a, a living, speaking, breathing oracle from heaven that, that gives the direct commandment to the church of what God wants for us. And how awesome is that? And, and when we feel like the prophet got off, we just can't wait to have that restored. I get that. But when I read the scriptures and the Book of Mormon and even Revelation given to Joseph, I'm sorry, I've arrived at the conclusion that there's nowhere else in the Book of Mormon or the New Testament that talks about only one person being the mouthpiece of God and the head of the church. Right. I, I, I'm befuddled, if you take our culture out of it, that we would call anybody else that, that proposed that 
theory, a cult. You know, if, if I went to Lee Summit Christian Church and, and the pastor there stood up and said, uh, you know, God loves everybody, but I'm, I'm the only one to give you revelation. I'm the only one to tell you what God's will is for all of us as a body, as a church. So don't anybody else try to do this. Right. I would walk right. out of there so quick. And, and, right. and you bunch of cult weirdos. <laughs> what? Right. So I'm sorry. So I question that. I don't think it's scriptural. So in reality, does that mean that someone that holds to that idea is not my brother or sister? That's right. up between them and God. If and if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But I'm I have to be honest in that. If I'm if I'm just doing that because I'm I'm tired of being part of a church and I want to tear it down, then then that's whether it's true or not. My heart's not in the right place, right? I I, I could be 100 correct, and where has it gotten me? Nowhere. Right. If, if I'm just trying to tear down for funsies, but if I right. really want to know what kind of a relationship Jesus has with me and what kind of revelation he can give to me and what kind of uh, interaction he wants between me minus uh, a go between, you know, just me directly. If that's my goal, then I guess that would be a faith exercise, an exercise in faith right. to see if maybe. And so what's, so what's the, how does that, so what I want to get to is, you present that belief. We've presented that belief in a video. How should we be looked at or interacted with, with other people who are in the church? I mean, I'm not going to stand up at the pulpit and say, Joseph Smith wasn't a prophet and throw out your doctrine and covenants. Uh, I've never made that stance. Right. Um, I don't think he was uh, the only person that was supposed to receive revelation for the church. And I'm not the only one to, to hold to that idea. You know, many people right. have, but how does, how should that affect my relationship with someone in the church who thinks I'm crazy or thinks that that's just silliness? I mean, what, what is the implication of that in my interpersonal relationship with another member of the church that doesn't, that holds to the traditional view? What, how, how, how could that affect our relationship? I'm just, tell me your thoughts. Well, I, I think, how should it or how would it? <laughs> well, let's. What are some possibilities that could happen, and then we can talk about how should it happen or what what should it be? I think what you will what you will find is you will be labeled as apostate, and if we'd had a more of an organization, which we don't have anymore, really, the only organization that exists within the restoration branches is the, the your local branch. But if we had more of an organization, you would probably be brought up on on trial for for, you know, disagreeing with the doctrine and have your priesthood stripped and maybe your membership. Um, if, if it did, if that didn't happen, you certainly would be shunned, um, be seen as an outsider labeled as, you know, a weirdo that's trying to tear people's faith down. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't know who they were referring to on those Facebook posts, but one person uh, called this whoever's doing it uh, Alma, like Alma the Younger, going around trying to tear up the church, you know, and mm -hmm. um, and that example really isn't. I don't think it's really hard to know who's being referenced. Right, right, but it's it, you know, no matter. I don't know who exactly they're talking about, but um, that that's possibly not. You know, that labeling someone is is not the way to handle it. You know, I think um, I think first of all. You know, we, I, I think that we are hard on each other. <laughs> I don't think we have very much, very, very much grace uh, mm -hmm. within our, within our group. And I think that's just people in general. I mean, look at politics, you know, I mean, think about when you, 
you know, if you're a group of people and they're all super conservative and one person comes in and says, you know, go Joe Biden or something like that, they're like, get out of here. You know what I mean? I mean, it, right. it, and so we, we treat people that way. That's how we treat each other. That wouldn't be, I wouldn't be that one person. So yeah, you're right. What you just said, those are possible outcomes. Wouldn't you say something? Well, cause I saw a thing. Why aren't the priesthood holding people accountable? You should mm-hmm. be hold, hold accountable. You should be silenced or I'm not saying we are, but let's say if someone, so, so what's the implication of that is, is every member of the priesthood in our independent restoration branches, you know, sh- should we be sitting down with the pastor and signing our name to a set of creeds and beliefs? Um, I believe in, you know, Joseph Smith's a prophet of God. I believe in Jesus, the father, the Holy spirit. And then, and then are we going to discuss what the book of Mormon says about that and, and think that we're all going to be on the same page there? No. Does it mean we're not brothers and sisters? No. But I mean, what, what do you want? You know, what would people want to do when you say, why are the priesthood not holding people accountable? Right. Uh, what does that look like? Because well, you've something that's that you can't find in the scriptures, or that someone—the only scripture I know of—that sets one person up with all of that authority, with every name you know given to the the prophet, president, whatever—is is the the only is the very scripture that Joseph Smith presented. So right. I need a second witness or third witness from previous scripture that supports that theory. And when I find many scriptures that don't support it and, and talk about the high calling of the member, the members need to hold priesthood accountable right. by, by, by scripture. And, and we have to be careful when we start talking about holding people accountable, because then you, you enter into that realm of I'm right, you're wrong, I'm better than you, you know, go away, you have no worth. And right. it's, so even that very notion is, is, is a real slippery slope. Um, well, it's, it's interesting. So, you know, we've had this happen before where a group of people started speaking against the church, against the leadership and disagreeing with scripture that has been brought forth. And that happened in 1984. You know, the, the Doctrine and Covenants was our book of scripture. And there was a new section added. 156 was added to the scriptures. And that was scripture given to us by our prophet, voted upon and accepted by the church body. And so if we should just trust and just believe and have faith, then we should have just stayed right there and just trusted that we didn't have under full understanding. And, you know, that's this scripture seems weird and, and it doesn't seem like it's truth, but we should just follow along because he's our prophet. You know, that'd be the mindset that that we're talking about here. But God doesn't call us to, to just follow along blindly. You know, he right. doesn't call us to submit to he calls us to submit to each other in humility and in love, but not not to follow down a, a road to darkness and evil. You know, that that doc that document was not from God. And that man was not carrying the spirit of God and he could not be considered a prophet. And that and that's obvious. And so because of that, we a decision was made. Our parents decided, you know, that we're we're leaving, we're we're getting out. We're going to form these restoration branches. And so now here we are, we're in this situation with our congregations, you know, where we don't have this organized body. We don't have a, a, a one man prophet leading everything because we made a decision to reject this false doctrine that was being brought forth. And that was great. I mean, I, I credit our parents for doing that. That's wonderful because it is, it was false, you know, but, but we have to continue doing that throughout our whole lives. 
We don't just sit down and say, okay, now we now we're good to go. Now we're the restoration branches. You know, I go to this this particular branch. It's the fullness of the gospel. It's the truth. Everything we believe, the bylaws, everything is 100%. I'm going to circle my wagons around it, and I'm going to fight with people online about it, and I'm going to defend the faith until death. You know, that's not what God wants us to do. And that's literally what's what's happening here. Um, the process of being able to do that and legitimizing that, and, and rightfully so, say, no, we're not going to go along with this doctrine, um, should give precedence or, or should give leeway to say, we should be able to do that at other points in history where something was not correct. Um, mm-hmm. And in hindsight, right, we have so much information available now. In hindsight, looking backwards, it's not in a, it's not in a manner of judging those people. But look, look at the twelve apostles and what they accomplished in Jesus's day. They all, most all of them, died. They went out and spread the church. They they. We, we talk about Pentecost and flames of fire on the tops of people's heads and the spirit rushing wind, filling people with the spirit, this mighty movement. The church went out and prospered. Those men gave their lives for the church. You, you can't look at that and look, look at the 12 disciples in the Book of Mormon who, who preached and, and were with the people and they had three or four generations of righteousness you can't look at those apostles and those disciples and look at the new church set up in 1830. Look at those apostles that are involved in whoredoms and polygamy and wife swapping and all manner of evil and compare them to the other ones and then not take an honest look at the organization that was set up by those men. Right. I mean, guys, it's not, it's it's apples and oranges. I mean, we can't try to think that we're the same thing and thank the Lord that he preserved a record to restore his truth called the Book of Mormon mm-hmm. that is such a foundation for us and that continually gets attacked and, and placed uh, below other doctrine. Uh, and not above other doctrine, as it says about itself, it should be. It should be the the restorer of truth because other scripture has had some things happen to it. Mm-hmm. I know we said this many times, but how how can how can we be accused of preaching multiple gospels? I would say that that was the story of the early church you have the gospel of the book of mormon and then you have another gospel that was set up by men that were involved in all manner of of terrible things i i I say that the reorganization i think those men were of such higher caliber the 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 ministers in the reorganized church after after uh, the early church those those apostles you know the arthur Mm -hmm. opens and and uh, joseph luff and and these people that wrote beautiful hymns, mm-hmm. much, much higher caliber. But yeah. it doesn't mean that there wasn't, it, it, still, it still had its foundation in a, a pretty nefarious, weird time. So, Right. Well, they were just men. You know, I mean, we could, we could like we said, we have the, the benefit of hindsight. You know, I think in some ways, Joe Smith III was, was a, you know, a more stable, better leader than his father. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you can you could do that, and like you said, those you know, Albert A. Smith, and a lot of those men were very, very good men. You know, they brought they had wonderful ministries. So, you know, this doesn't these these conversations are not 
talking bad about any, any of these people. It's it's really just about looking at it truthfully and really, really loving the truth. You know, um, we uh, I think in our society, I think that we don't we've learned not to love truth. Truth is is sort of fits the situation. It's it's my truth and your truth. And that's not the way it is. Truth is just truth. It's a standard, you know, and um, I, I know like with my kids, you know, <laughs> you'll get in an argument with them and, and about something they did, you know, and and sometimes it takes a while to get to what really happened. You know, they, they get down to the the actual event that occurred and, and take all the emotion out of it. And um, I, I think that's we have to do that even with the gospel, you know, in, in relation to men, um, because men are fallible. And, you know, we write, you know, the history that we have, like our church history, you know, it's those volumes of church history. They are they are tainted by people's perspective on what they believe happened and how they believe it happened, you know, and, and it's not to say they're lying, but it's their own perspective. It's their, their perspective of what occurred or their understanding of what occurred. And, and, and maybe kind of pushing a few things aside that we don't really want to tell the world happened, you know? And, and I think um, one thing I like about the, the Joe Smith project is, you know, it's bringing forward these documents showing the actual document, showing that there's lines crossed through stuff and how you can just see it right there. It's, it's transparent. You know, and I like I like that. I think that we have to we have to look at our lives and be truth, 100 percent truthful with every single thing or we're just going to fall. We're just going to fall into the, into the same traditions and errors that our past has, has fallen into. Right. Well, we're going to have to wrap up. We're, we'll, we'll have to do a part two here because I really wanted to get in. This isn't so much about what we believe or, or when you when you see stewardship of beliefs, it's not trying to line out a belief system that people should adhere to. We're discussing, we will do so in the next one, about how you handle your belief system, how you interact with other people, and, and how you grow in knowledge and, and things like that as well. But the, the, main thing, the main thing is being a stewardship over your beliefs uh, involves being a stewardship of how you treat people and how you handle those beliefs. And, and again, are your beliefs shaping your heart? Or is your heart, your fleshly heart, shaping your beliefs? You know, your prideful heart, the one that wants to be right. And and so honesty and truth is so important. So I think we should pick up there uh, next time and continue this conversation because we think there's a lot more to talk about. Um, one thing I did see this week um, is about there's certain, there's certain um, things that pop up repeatedly you know book of commandments versus the doctrine and covenants and i don't even think that's a fair um i know people are one or the other but i don't even think that's fair i think each each message from the lord it claims to be a revelation should be vetted against previous scripture and again and stand on its own so i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not in that camp but there's these things these you know whitmerites book of commandments you know priesthood uh, what's what's other <sighs> topics that come up over over time um but when you start when you start sorting those things out and then putting people into well you believe this this or that and then and then statements are made that well there's no good fruit for people that go down this path that start questioning things or or doubting things um and and again the word doubt and questioning we gotta be careful how we use those so i would just want to say as we've looked into the scriptures and just present what the scriptures say, I have had a lot of good fruit in my life. 
Um, I feel closer to my creator. I don't feel pressure to judge people in the church any longer because I know that in spite of what people intellectually think, if they're honestly pursuing God, we're all going to arrive at the same place eventually. But the pursuit and in, in the honesty and integrity to me is much more important. Uh, and that's how I count people in, you know, ex-Mormons, ex-LDS that are pursuing things as my brothers and sisters, if they're doing it honestly, even though we still have far different belief systems in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I see good fruit and I, I can testify to good fruit. And everybody that, uh, you know, people question things and, and leave the church for different reasons or leave God, but it's about where your heart is at. And that's part of this stewardship of your belief system. And so there is good fruit and there's bad fruit. But it all it all has to do with why are you pursuing and what's your honest intentions of your heart to where you end up. And I have letters and emails and 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 text messages from all over where people have um have come to conclusions that we've come to and and it's good fruit in their life it's coming back to god rather than throwing out the whole the whole baby with the bathwater right it's it's realizing they can come back to the scriptures and just because things questions they had couldn't be answered or the things they didn't agree with in the church on some of those issues that they realize that's okay. It doesn't change the word of God. I don't have to throw out the, the book of Mormon and, and things like that. I have, I've seen that fruit in the last couple of years and people, I mean, yeah, I had a, I had a, um, uh, I think we may have mentioned it before, but it, I think it fits this too. Um, I had a, a previous, uh, Mormon Bishop, um, that got on, I, I've been putting the book of Mormon online and, uh, the RCE edition and, on YouTube. And so this guy decided to, I, I think he was initially going to, he was kind of trolling me, you know, kind of like, Oh yeah, you want to believe that or something like that. And so I, I, you know, the human side would have said, you know, Oh, this guy, you know, just delete the post and don't worry about it. But I decided to respond to him. And I, you know, I told him, you know, I talked to him a little bit about it and, you know, told him that, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't hold Joseph on some big pedestal and that the book of Mormon is true, but that doesn't make Joseph, you know, perfect. And, well, then w- when I responded to him in, in a loving way, he, he calmed down and started, you know, started talking to me directly instead of at me, he was talking to me. And, and so we um, it, it had some exchanges and, you know, come to find out he does actually believe in the book of Mormon, but he and he actually is an ex Mormon bishop and had been out of the church for like 20 years. And you know, it was carrying as these heavy burdens of feeling the truth of the Book of Mormon, but yet knowing that the religion that he was a part of was not from God. And it really created a, a terrible conflict for him. And but anyway, so he, uh, you know, we had a really good exchange and he was like, you know, keep it up, you know, I'm I, I this makes a lot of sense, and you know, I. I appreciate what you're doing. Well, then a few weeks went by and he sends me another message on another video that I had put out, uh, where it was just reading the book of Mormon. And he says, you're not going to believe this, but he says I was getting into, I think he said he was getting into his car or he was at the store or something. And he heard my voice reading the book of Mormon. And he, in his mind, he was thinking, well, that sounds like the book of Mormon. And it, you know, he, you know, couldn't he, he's like, where's this coming from? You know, and he pulls his phone out of his pocket and sure enough, somehow he had, you know, he had actually his, you know, his, his leg or whatever had fired up the phone and, and it started playing YouTube and it was my video 
And, uh, and so he said he listened to it for a while, you know, and he said it was good to hear it again, you know, 20 years from being away from, from it. And, you know, it was, it was, it meant something to him. Now, I don't know, you know, I don't know where he's going with that now, but you know, it's those little moments. I mean, who would ever thought that, I mean, like when I preach at my local branch, what are my chances of ever being able to minister to a, a ex Mormon Bishop who hasn't touched the, been anywhere near the Book of Mormon or the church for 20 plus years, you know, but this, this venue allows us to talk to all over the world, you know? And so I do see good fruit. I mean, we, you know, we've get a lot of messages from people that are, that appreciate it. And, um, much yeah. more so than the ne- than negative. I have oh, very, yeah. very much negative. I've I've heard whisperings and and have had people say things, um, mm-hmm. but but that's within our tiny restoration, you know, groups here in Independence. Yeah. But um, but man, the far reaching. Anytime someone comes back to the Word of God and wants and, and there's a spirit there that is encouraging them to do so, then I say that's good fruit and and praise the Lord for that and. And um, just because everything in our history may not may or may not be right doesn't mean that the word of God is not right that was brought forth. So, yeah. All right. Well, we've we'll pick up here next time. Thanks for being on here today, Shane. Remember, as Corey always says, be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. We are just walking each other home. So, until next time, God bless. Take care.